the diamond I realized that I'm Museum presents A Mile in My Shoes. These are a pair of beige steel toe cap boots. They are battered and look like they are worn by a factory worker or someone in construction. The laces are frailed as if they've been tied many times and it is rubbery in texture. These shoes belong to Adrian. This is his story. My name's Adrian McRae. I'm a small construction business owner in Port Hedland in northwestern Australia in the Pilbara. I said I'd come here for a year, seven years ago. You know, now that I'm at seven, I might as well go to ten. A lot of the goals and aspirations I have require a lot of money and not saying that I make a lot of money, but, you know, I've got a high school education, but I haven't got a sort of a profession that I can go and set up a different kind of business. I'm sure there's plenty of business I could set up that, you know, Branson, he never looked like what he's done with no formal education. Ideally, I'd like to be here another three years, but it's hard to say, you know, the working in the resource game, it's it's hot and cold. And uh, right now we're in a, in a lull and, um, you know, the prices, commodity prices are record lows. We'll just ride it out until the next wave and just see what, see if the next wave is a, is a successful one for us because, you know, if I could be out of here in in, uh, in a year or if I could be out of here tomorrow, I'd be gone. Mum was pregnant with me when they moved to the farm from a previous farm, so, and that previous farm he'd, he'd inherited. He sold that and then bought into another part of the farm that had been in our family name, the McRae's, for, yeah, for quite a while. Yeah, look, I think there was certainly uh, times in severe drought where, you know, you had to put livestock down. And I remember in 1991, by that stage I was you know, 15 years old, the Australian government decided the cheapest way out of our um, wool woes was to shoot sheep. So they paid um, paid farmers to kill their kill their sheep, which was, you know, sad to see, um, to see Dad go through generations of breeding to get to a, a line of sheep that he was very proud of to see him um, getting paid getting nothing for them worthless worthless you know to sell or to shear or to do anything with so you know I think we shot um, several thousand sheep on the farm which was certainly my mum actually I remember mum not even knowing about it because he was you know she was very against any sort of killing you know so we actually <laughs> we actually had to do that in private and secret and she didn't even know that here we are as kids you know having to shoot these sheep off the off the board you know, when we'd shear them and then straight down to the hole in the ground, shoot them and push them into a hole. It was horrible, horrible seeing Dad have to go through that. Yeah, the day before boarding school started, before I actually went away, we just finished harvest at Christmas time and so we decided we'd go and chase some wild pigs the day before we before I went away. We found this mob of pigs and we had a, had a dog, two motorbikes and a dog, and a dog caught um, one pig and, of course, my brother, being the crazy bugger he was, jumped off the motorbike he'd help the dog and the dogs let go of the pig or the pigs got away from the dog one or the other about maybe 30 seconds later my brother said he'd been ripped by the pig of course i rushed him rushed him home back to the parents house which was about seven or eight miles away it took me uh, there's a lot of gates and things like that and my brother had red wing cowboy boots on but the blood the boots had filled with blood on that side and every gate we'd stop at there was an overflow it was just a puddle of blood by the time, just before we got home, the last couple of kilometres, he was uh, falling off the bike and saying things to me, if I die, I want you to have this animal and this animal. And, you know, as a 13-year-old and your brother's on your back, sort of head on your shoulder, I was holding his arms around my body like this. And, you know, I think I was in a singlet and shorts and we're doing 110 kilometres an hour and this loose gravel road 
but um, got him home and rode the motorbike straight into the house yard and he was uh, sort of picked him off the back of the bike and put his arm around my shoulder and carried him up the steps to the side of the house and screamed for mum. Dad sort of composed mum and they wrapped his leg up and called the ambulance and headed in for town and I remember sitting up with dad all night and dad kept calling the hospital to see if they'd arrived and no mobile phones back in the day of course so you know we just assumed that he didn't make it and he'd gone to the he'd gone to the um you know to the morgue as a 13 year old watching your dad he, he broke down to someone I don't know who was on the other end of the phone but I remember watching him crying and it was just shit he must be dead it must have been about four or five o'clock the next morning we got a call that he'd um made the hospital and and he was stable so that was great news so I actually got to go and visit him that day of course everyone at school had already heard it's funny because at a boys school you know there's no you know especially at a boys boarding school you know you get teased for everything and of course I became pig shagger or something like that. <laughs> straight away in 2003, when I was travelling in Turkey um, for Anzac Day, we did a cruise with a heap of the um, Aussies and Kiwis that were there for Anzac Day. You go through a town called Aludinez, which is a beautiful uh, seaside resort town where the, the movie from called Blue Lagoon, a lot of it was filmed there. And there's a huge mountain, Babadag, which is right on the beach. It just shoots straight up from the beach. And from the top of that, there was just hundreds of people jumping off this mountain and landing on the beach. And... I knew at that moment I wanted to be a paraglider pilot. Five years later, finally had enough money after working in mining. You know, it's not like I had, not like I was rich, but I'd, I'd paid my credit card off and I'd, I'd paid my student debts off, and uh, finally got the money I can afford to paraglide. After I just gotten my license, end of 2010, I suggested the idea of having remembered climbing Kilimanjaro. It just, I just remember Kilimanjaro as like a perfect launch site for paragliders it's you know very clear and lots of open space on the top and i'm sure there would have been access for different winds and different directions so i suggested i said let's uh let's paraglide from kilimanjaro and he's like yeah let's go and do it anyway so of course he did the research and found out that it was illegal and i always had a after my time in in uh, east africa and in particular in botswana and and in uh, zimbabwe having seen hardships that i never knew existed in the planet I always knew I wanted to go back to Africa somehow and make a difference. As soon as he told me that it was illegal to paraglide from Kilimanjaro, I knew literally before I'd hung up the phone what I was going to do. I um, got in touch with friends in Tanzania and said, listen, I know it's illegal to paraglide from Kilimanjaro, but I'm going to raise some money for charity if you'll let us do it. Of course, initially they said no. So I blurted out, I'll give you a million dollars if you let me do it. And straight away the Tanzanian government and the Tanzanian National Park said, Come over, come over to Tanzania, we'll discuss. took about a year, but we finally got um, permission from, by sort of late 2012, got full permission from the Tanzanian Civil Aviation, the Tanzanian, uh, uh, Tanzanian National Parks, and then, of course, down the track, you know, more and more of the Tanzanian government right through to the president got involved, and it sort of snowballed into something bigger and more exciting than I even expected. It got really full swing into organising probably by... Um, 2012 and at that time I spent the entire year working on a um, mine site near Tom Price called Marindu. So yeah you're on site all day, come home at night every night and back to Adonga. We, we lived in a in the mining camp down there so probably by nine o'clock when everything would get quiet and everyone would go to bed I'd just go back to my room and um, it's just organising you know talking having Skype meetings with um, sometimes celebrities in the UK or just big media people in the UK and the US. I had a had a publicist slash a publicity agent working for us in Spain. So he was, you know, six or seven hours behind us. So talking with him 
through his day and then by late at night um, New York would come online so he'd be talking with another bunch of agents we were working with or I was working with at the time in New York and it would sort of go through until 2, 2 o'clock in the morning most nights so I'd try and do 5 or 6 hours every night and uh, by 2am I'd sort of go to bed and the alarm would go off at 5am and you'd kind of want to smash it against the wall but get up and start the day again. And just, it, was, it was interesting how, you got, how I got used to it. I was married in 2009 and my, my American girlfriend who became my wife, she moved to Australia and she, you know, she could see that you know, the, there was just too, she was getting too little attention and it cost that relationship. As well as financially, you know, you, you know it always, everything was always 10 or 20,000 pounds or dollars or US and it was basically everything I had and everything, all the, it was just not just my energy and time, but it was my resources, my money. And I, I literally can say I gave it my all. <laughs> Certainly once we'd, uh, we got to go and visit, we had the, had the big group, we went and visited one of our water projects that we, that we constructed and, and built with money that we raised along the way. And so we had the official opening and turning on of the taps. Going down to those places and, and seeing the appreciation that they give, you know, they come out in there, they, they do a full, you know, the Maasai ceremonies are always exciting and you know for a westerner to see that cultural side of it all was um yeah look that you know you, yeah, and if everyone that was there was just as moved as i was if everyone showed that kind of appreciation for gifts or being given something in the world i think there'd be a lot more a lot more altruism and gift giving in the world the day we went for the summit sadly is not the happiest memory um you know it was more of a disappointment you know because I had this utopian vision of the biggest ever group to summit Kilimanjaro, which which it was. And but you know, I thought we'd all be there together and we'd all stand on the summit together and have a great big photo. And this vision I had of everyone being together, happy and safe and cosy on the summit, just didn't materialise. As much as it was a, a bittersweet ending, and it kind of you know put everything into perspective, is like you know we've we didn't fly for mountain, who cares? And of course, everyone says to you, oh, "Look, don't worry, it's paragliding, it's the weather, you know, all this sort of thing." It's true, you know, you put a, there's no better way to order bad weather than to put a bunch of paragliders on a mountain, you know, it's just, it's an old saying, we call it para-waiting. But, uh, uh, you know, I took that very personally, I kind of, having having gone back and flown in the last successive years at a different time of the year when the weather is more suitable, it's almost felt more guilty than, than elation for having gone back to do it, you know. I haven't enjoyed flying off the mountain any time that I've done it. Adrian's story was produced by Sinead Mangan. His shoes are part of a growing collection of footwear hosted by the Empathy Museum's A Mile in My Shoes exhibition. The shoes and stories come from all over the world. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to find out where we are going next.